This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. We also host the annual Wake Up Festival, a five-day experience of transformation, held in August of each year in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. You can also join our free direct access membership program and read transcripts of all of the Insights at the Edge podcasts and search our collection of podcasts with now more than 100 episodes available. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Sharon Frankemont. Sharon has taught individuals, couples, and organizations how to channel their intuitive powers for better health and communication for more than 25 years. She is among the pioneers who established a graduate program in intuition at John F. Kennedy University. With Sounds True, Sharon has created several audio programs, including You Already Know What to Do and Intuition, Your Electric Self, A Life Path of Illumination, which is a training course on intuition where she teaches a true and luminous path beyond individual realization and into more empowered relationships with time, space, and the larger purpose of existence. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Sharon and I spoke about intuitive knowing, the zone of no time, and the ground of being. We also talked about why intuition is being taken so seriously in the field of nursing. We also talked about how to work with intuition when you're suffering from an illness. And finally, Sharon shared with us her most important advice for cultivating what she calls radical intuition. Here's my conversation with Sharon Frankemont. Sharon, with Sounds True, you've created an audio program called You Already Know What to Do. And that's a very provocative title. I think a lot of people think, no, actually, I don't know what to do. And the reason I want to go talk to an intuitive counselor and I want to learn more about intuition is because I don't know what to do. And so my question is, do you think that we're blocking our intuition and that's the problem? No, I, I don't think we block intuition. I What I think is we're very inexperienced with intuition. We uh, haven't, most of us in the Western culture have never had even 101 intuition or heard the word throughout school. So I don't think we're purposely or psychologically blocking what we know. I think we almost never pause and really seek that knowledge within us. Um, when we say we don't know what to do, what, they, what I think we're saying is my brain doesn't know what to do and my training and my logic do not know what to do. That, that's what I believe. I believe that we have another layer and another way of knowing. And philosophers and spiritual teachers and now science itself is saying that there, we are more than our brain. So 
when we say, I don't know what to do, let's dissect that a little bit and um, explore what are we truly saying. Are we saying we're at a decision point and we don't know what to do? Are we saying, okay, I'm going to start my day, but I don't know where to start? And what is the we that we're talking about or the I that I'm talking about? I think the the larger I is um, the bigger total spirit self has a lot more knowledge than we take advantage of, just because of training, not because of um, you know ignorance. So you actually believe that people could be trained to be significantly more intuitive. Absolutely. And when I use the word train, I think I better clarify that. Because essentially I'm not saying that we need training so we have a new new skill base. Basically what I kind of hinted at a few minutes ago is we need training to just stop and go inward and to know that we can ask even the wisdom of our body, our hearts, our bellies, our spirit, what is best. And so the training we need is more removing the way we habitually approach decision-making or anything in life for that matter and taking the time to settle into more of a contemplative, uh, intuitive self. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what the model is that you're currently working with to explain natural intuition, if you will. Okay. Um, I have many models, but the one that I'm most excited about right now, well, there are two. One is based on a philosopher, a French philosopher named Jacques Martin, and he basically had the idea that we have what he called connaturality, and it's a you know it's a term you can look up on Google, but basically it means we're born with an innate knowledge base. We're born with intuition, and he believed that our intuitive field of knowing uh, preceded our logical and um, inductive way of knowing, or deductive way of knowing. That's one uh, method that I'm thinking, or one way to frame it. Another frame that I find really exciting that's going on right now is all the work in spiritual intelligence. And um, so I think intuition is something that is unfolded uh, as we develop spiritually, and I don't mean by that religiously, but as we develop our higher values and our sensitivity to... um, I would I would almost want to call it like the uh, Dalai Lama calls it, our sensitivity to kindness, that the basic human quality of kindness and compassion. As we develop that and there's a softness that comes to our knowledge, then we're um, really tapping into a larger field in which we live. So um, in the spiritual intelligence work, it's been developed by a guy named Robert Emmons at the University of California, in Davis, he defines it as five ways. One is that we develop capacity for transcendence. So we're not just thinking of ourselves as just body-based, but the body has 
an, a large field in which it is interacting, and that field has information. I think our challenge right now is to discern what information is relevant in an extremely large field. Then he states the next thing about spiritual intelligence is we have a heightened state of consciousness. Again, he's talking about awareness as part of spiritual intelligence and that we see everyday activities as sacred. That's a definition of spiritual intelligence. And when I'm speaking about intuition as part of this process, I'm talking about the capacity to know without logic. And I just want to stop for a second around this idea of everyday activities are sacred. So even the possibility of making a decision, um, for example, I'm working a lot with nurses right now, and nursing has done more research, Tammy, and intuition than any other field other than parapsychology. And nurses report, a huge amount of nurses report intuitive experiences. And and often they act before they make a decision. And it's that moment of acting, it's that moment that comes out with a wisdom that is achieved faster than, you know, as, as uh, the author of Blink says, it, it is like a blink. And in that moment, there is a sacredness to being alive. There is an awe, and it's it's not an evaluation process. So that's part of the intuition as it arises in spiritual intelligence. And then that leads to the next definition, where you're actually using your, he's calling it spiritual resources, to solve problems. And um, so you would turn and rely upon and learn to rely upon the what your heart tells you is the right action. That doesn't mean you're always going to follow your heart. I'm not saying that you replace logic. But you pay attention to that. That becomes part of this large field. And then uh, he defines the final one as an engagement in virtuous behavior, for spiritual intelligence. And um, I'm so I'm really interested in those two philosophical um, developments and the idea of non-consciousness. That's another idea that's going around right now, that our non-conscious self is gigantic. And um, our consciousness is different than our subconscious self. Okay, so I'm going to need a little more understanding of this. When you say non-conscious, but you're distinguishing it from subconscious, what's non-conscious? I am relying a lot on the work of Dr. Paul Sheely. He's um, from Wyzetta, Minnesota, and uh, he's done a lot of research in the brain. His his whole interest is the brain. And he believes right now that we have a non-conscious self and that non-conscious self, distinguishing from subconscious self, is a huge uh, capacity to be aware of what is going on in our environment. So, for example, he said if, you know, if all of us could right now look down at our feet and just see that little space that our feet holds, this is what he refers to as the area of the conscious brain. And then if you can imagine 
100 football fields in all directions as the non-conscious brain, which is operating and working and evolving and uh, discerning and uh, recording all that's happening, in, not just with you, but in, the, in, in this large field, um, then we're aware of a self that is much bigger than our physical body or even our idea of our singular soul or spirit, but is part of uh, being, you know, there's a living, living field, living field that we're in. So intuition is, um, you know, in, in the old days they would sometimes call, say, something like the Akashic Records or some place where all knowledge is known, which we could go to. I think that we're looking at something more like the noosphere, um, which is the, the sphere that Deschardins, the philosopher, talked about around the earth, where all knowledge is shared. And as we become a global community, we, we need instantaneous uh, interaction. And it doesn't always have to be through our cell phones or our Internet. I think there's an Internet, inner, I-N-N-E-R net, where knowledge is there. So to give you an example, if I'm, when I'm working with nurses, oh, let me give you an example from soccer and sports. Um, Pelé, he's a really famous uh, soccer player for mm-hmm. Brazil. And he was known for being able to k- kick a crucial, well, make a crucial kick backwards to one of his teammates that was behind him without looking back. So he was interviewed, and they said, how do you do that? And Play answered it just so nonchalantly. He said, it's easy. I just go up, and I look around at the whole field. I'm not looking with my eyes. I'm, I go up with my body, you know, my spirit, and I look around at the whole field, and I know where he is. And when I'm working with nurses, I talk about lifting your knowledge into the space of seeing your entire field, that is, what's going on down the hall, what's going, where is the person that you need to help you at this moment? Call them on the inner world. Now, you know, I'm talking radical intuition here, where you really are stepping into another world, Tammy, and believing that you are deeply connected with those things you need to know in the moment that you need to know them. Your brain is no longer just a storage place. You're not using your brain for storage. You can give that to your computer. You're engaging your brain and your spirit and this field that you're in in the discernment of what is necessary at the moment and why that is so important to each of us is that it brings a life of much greater ease. Now, you're saying a lot of really interesting things, Sharon, so I'm going to unpack a couple of the ideas that I'm curious about. So when you were offering this uh, first model that you've been engaging with, that intuitive knowing precedes our rational knowing, are you saying that it happens quicker? Is that what you mean by precedes, that it just, it happens? Well, he believes it's in the ground, that intuition is in the ground of being. So... This idea that intuition is quicker 
maybe, you know, part of our always having to think of things in time. In other words, as if one thing happens and the next thing happens and another thing happens. I would like to say that what he's talking about is presence, just sheer presence. It doesn't have to do with even the linear seconds. Um, but in Blink, in the book Blink, if you've had a chance to look at that, he does talk about how fast it happens. But, you know, it's very hard for us as Westerners to get out of not thinking about progressive time, but thinking about all things happening at once. You know, I could go deeper into that, but maybe you'd prefer to ask another question. Well, when you say that our intuitive knowing is part of the ground of our being, not even in time, tell me what you mean by that. Well, the Buddhists have um, three ideas of time. One is the profane time, and that's, you know, the thing we do every day. We're primarily uh, living through our personalities and uh, just what do we have to do to get through the day and make the day a joyful experience, not only for ourselves but for others. Um, And that's profane time. That's the time we look at the clock and we make appointments and we sort of meter out our lives. And then... Another philosophy, uh, another type of time is grand time. And this time is mythic time. It's huge cycles, and we might see them as spirals that we go through, just as an individual, much less as a a community of, of beings who've lived on the planet. And then the third kind of time is called no time. And that literally is time disappears. Um, and I'm referring to that when I say ground of being, and this is kind of a deep philosophical discussion, I mean that you have access instantaneously to what you need to know. So if we go back to the original meaning, the Latin meaning of intuit, which is where the word intuition comes from, it means immediate apprehension of everything there is to know. So intuit means apprehension, instantaneous knowledge. And you could think about that as part of the ground of being. So it sounds to me like one takeaway someone could have listening to this description of developing intuition, if you will, or opening to intuition, is if you're struggling with trying to figure out what to do, maybe the best thing to do would be to stop and enter this no-time space. I'm wondering what you have to say about that. That's exactly what I'm saying. And of course, we're not very experienced at entering no-time. And one of the things that happened, I, I mean all of us in the westernized world anyway, one of the things, there are things we can do to help ourselves. And I believe that we need to have this time. But, and so in our society, one of the ways we have them is we zone out while, we shouldn't zone out while we're driving, but sometimes we do. We zone out while we're being taught. We zone out while we're watching TV. Where are we going? What is happening? And while the body might need that, we have not gone to that place for the purpose of 
being a more alive human being. And in the meditative state, or even, you know, let's say if you're having the experience, I think in sports or with teams, we call it being in the zone. It isn't a process that we go through first step one, step two, step three. It's like Pei Li was saying, I'm in the zone. Or you might have experienced it in your life if you were playing music. And you move and you are actually more alive. The experience of being alive is a very strong key, Tammy, for knowing you're in the intuitive state. It's calm, but heightened aliveness. Now, you mentioned something else that I thought was quite intriguing, that in the healthcare field, that intuition has been studied and taken seriously more so than any other field except parapsychology. And I'm wondering why that's so. Well, it's not healthcare. It's I, I want to be very specific. Okay. It's nursing. Nursing. Okay. They have done so many studies of the role of intuition in uh, nursing, and why I believe that is so is that uh, nursing, when you're caretaking another human being who is in a position, sometimes life and death position or frequently facing a major crisis. What happens is, and I believe this is really central to intuition, is this ground of being that I'm talking about is more available. And nurses are responsible usually for the body and are really in contact more than the physician who comes in and is just, you know, reading the chart and leaving. So there's an intimacy, which is really key to intuition. There's a deep intimacy, especially around such a powerful thing of life and death. There is an intimacy moment where nurses have the experience of knowing what to do. Um, and I think parents can have this experience or we can have this with our lovers. There's something about love that is very central. And I don't mean love necessarily in a romantic way, but connection, profound connection. I, if you'll notice that in history, Tammy, um, the people who are most intuitive and have made the biggest uh, contributions to humanity, the scientists, the uh, well, I shouldn't say the biggest, but great contributions. They make their contributions in the area of their greatest love. Mozart is not making contribution to science. You know, Vincent Millay is not writing her po. You know, she's writing poetry. She's not, um, you know, evaluating or teaching uh, what students should say A or B. So. What I really believe is intuition thrives in this compassionate and this love space, and that is a natural requirement for most on-the-ground healthcare professionals in nursing. The reason why they've done as most research is nurses report it. They report their experiences, and now that the word can be used much more, they're starting to be... Uh, a willingness to even, and when I'm working with them, they're now telling their doctors 
listen, I think maybe, you know, we should go this way. And it's my intuition, it's my gut, it's my heart. And and the physicians are listening to them. Whereas maybe 20 years ago, a nurse wouldn't would be very careful about saying that. Um, so that's why I think there have been so many studies of intuition uh, in nursing. I've got some heroines in that field. Really risked a lot to do that. Now, Sharon, can you make it more explicit for me, the relationship between being intuitive and what we love, what that connection is? Mm-hmm. Yes, certainly I can. Um, I think a, a metaphor that I like to use is that intuition travels on love. And let me give you an example. Uh one of the first people that really did a lot of research on intuition is Rhine, J.B. Rhine. He was at Duke University, and he created some cards. They had five sing, they had five symbols on it, and people had to guess ahead of time what the card was. And he did a lot of those studies, and and they were all interesting results. But meanwhile, his wife Tammy, uh, Louisa was her name. It was the end of World War Two. And she was very interested in the topic, too. But what she did is she asked the American population, everybody, and and they had some, you know, access through Duke University, would people just send her stories, intuitive stories? And she collected thousands of them, a lot of them based on World War II events. And then she categorized them. Uh, you know, was this a person who had a dream experience? Was this a person who uh, was in crisis and knew someone had died? Or, you know, what? how did these stories line up with what people were really experiencing? And what uh, emerged from it is the great, greatest number of people were between two people that really were emotionally attached to each other were basically in love, whether it was family love or romantic love or friendship love. And those were the people that knew instantaneously something had happened to their loved one when they were thousands of miles away. Another, you know, I just want to show that example. Another example is, let's think about Albert Einstein. No, everyone knows who Einstein is and what he did about space, but not too many people know that one of the things that he did just because he loved it is he had a favorite game he played with himself. He jumped on a light beam and imagined what it would be like to travel through space. And he did that ever since he was a kid. Now, those two examples, to me, give us an insight that if you really want to have more intuition and develop this contact, this deep contact and this state of being that allows intuition to flow, fall in love with what it is you want intuition about. If you're an artist, just let yourself love the art that you're working in deeper than you have before. 
You know, what I like to say is have a conversation with your spirit. Tell your spirit you want to open up. You want to go to another level of being. You want to experience the knowledge that you're born to know. And your spirit will start, you you know, your spirit will start giving you steps. Don't look for, you know, you have to quit your job tomorrow or any of that. Just take the step of learning. And then as you unfold that step, a next step will come. And underneath that path is going to be a joy and a love of life that just unfolds as you go. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. If you're interested in listening to previous episodes of Insights at the Edge, they're all available for free in a searchable database as part of our new direct access membership program. For more information, please visit soundstrue.com forward slash direct access. And now back to Insights at the Edge. Now, Sharon, I'm curious about this idea of intuition traveling on love. As you were speaking, I was thinking about people in my life that I'm very connected with and how I do often mysteriously know if something's troubling them or if there's something wrong with their health. And I think that probably listeners recognize this phenomenon in their own life. And what I'm curious to know is how is that happening Clearly, it's not happening at the quote-unquote conscious mind level because I don't even know that I could be thinking about this person, you know, whatever. It's just sort of appearing there. What's your explanation for that? Well, I have two, um, and I think they're very related. But one is this field that I keep referring to, this knowledge field. I, I believe that I ask people to cease to identify themselves as an ego, and it's going to sound strange, but identify yourself as a field, a field whose consciousness extends way out, and you can, you can, you are affected by the permutations in the field that are part of your memory banks for your whole life. Let's just hold that huge frame, and then let's go to the physics of non-local interaction. Now, this is subparticle physics, so what I, what I think is important is to, you know, we can't say that our physical bodies at the size that we are necessarily acting on the, the way, way things go in the quantum level, but it's, it's insightful. So in, in the quantum level, if two um, particles are in relationship and they are blown apart and they travel, let's just say it is 5,000 miles apart like it was in Europe for the families. Um, What we know is that A and B are still related. So if something happens to B, the particle way 3,000 miles away, instantaneously A 
responds in the same way that B responded. Now, this we know we call this non-local. Something is not locally happening; it's happening a long way away, and yet I feel that I'm tied to that. And on the quantum level, that we know is going on. We don't know for sure what it is. Um, But I'd like to suggest that people hold the idea that that is very similar. If we consider the entire universe, we are, you know, a quantum bit in the entire universe. So that's one, those are two possible explanations that I think are very Um, They're out there and they're known in science and we know that the field, uh, and certainly in metaphysics, exists. Uh, So it matters who you're in relationship. And another study that's really interesting, and I I haven't really had enough time, Tammy, to, to really look at this, but I don't know if you're aware of the study they did in England. There's a book out right now. Um, It's called Connected. And it basically is showing how people you've never met but who are good friends with your friends are influencing your life. Hmm. And the original study happened in New England with obesity. And what and they were able to look at uh, hundreds of people through medical records and saw that people who say, I have a friend, Susan, and Susan has a friend named Mary. And Mary starts gaining a lot of weight. I'm much more likely to gain weight, even if I've never met Mary. Very bizarre. But that is; those are for studies right now. How, the subtitle of the book is How Your Friends, Friends, Friends Affect Everything You Think, Feel, and Do. So we are something larger than just ourselves. Now, Sharon, one of the things I'm curious about, you talked about how nurses are in life-or-death situations and really mm-hmm. really care often about the health of their patients. And often it seems yeah. when people are in some type of healing crisis, that's where they really want to have intuition about their situation. I want to have some type of knowing about this pain that I have on the left side of my body. What is it? I don't quite know. If only I were more intuitive, I start asking all my intuitive friends to help me know which path of treatment is best. What should I do? How do I know what to do when I'm, when I'm ill and worried? Mm-hmm. Those are really excellent questions. Um, and I, I would say, you know, you can't be your own doctor. And yet, At the same time, it's vital that you tell your physician or your healthcare professional what you think is going on. A good physician is going to ask you, what do you think is happening? If you were going to diagnose yourself, and it's vital that when you have an insight into yourself or your child, that you share that with your physician. Don't feel that you know less than he or she does. That doesn't mean you're right, but it means that in the process of learning 
about what to do and how to trust and how to empower your own spirit, you're taking the risk of making that part of yourself, you're taking it out of the tacit world and making it in the explicit world. So the first thing I'd say to people is that question, what do you think is going on? Not, is my left leg really hurting me or is this? Not to try to analyze down into your body and become a physician. But what do you think is going on in the larger sense of your life? Okay, you know you have this pain. What in the, and again, seeing yourself as a field of experience, what is impacting you right at this moment? Are you um, depressed? Are you struggling with something? Is there something that's out of balance in other parts of your life? What do you think that you could be doing right now to help yourself heal? And you might be surprised about what would come out of your mouth. Um, That's kind of how I I approach that question. Now, I'm curious about another area in which you work, which is helping people in business with intuition and working with leadership and teams. And I'm curious how you help people develop their intuition in that context. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I am primarily working right now with healthcare professionals, so I, I need to go back. But a lot of that is, uh, again, I'm really helping people with identity. And the identity part is the identity with the self that's full of knowledge, that is not egotistical, so you're not right, but it has knowledge. So if you're in the position of leadership, um, it's very important for you to see the entire field as you're one piece in that field. You are, you know, not the top of the pyramid. You're one piece, and the thing that you are most responsible for is keeping the field copacetic for everybody in the community. And that means that your job is to be sensitive and aware. That is your very first job, and what your pulse is on is not the individual, but how the community is responding. That's what your pulse is on. And you are looking for patterns, and, and you're looking for shifts, and you're looking for breakthroughs that are owned by the entire community, your team. And it doesn't matter where the breakthroughs come from. What you're wanting is to set up a um, a safe environment that fosters creativity, and you are the um, person who is responsible for the field. You are holding the field. That's what leadership is about. And in that field, the intuition will flourish. You know, you'll have paleys that can see patterns. You'll have people that are extremely good at emotions. You'll have people that are great at creativity. You'll have visionaries. They're all there within that team. And um, and there's a moment when the collaborative intuition jumps in, and it is the sensation of being in the zone. And everyone who's experienced that in a team, especially a work team, 
just feels higher than a kite. It is a wonderful experience to feel that everybody is um, in sync and going forward, being propelled by something larger than themselves. It seems like some people are naturally super intuitive, naturally gifted. Do you have any explanation as to why that is, why some people seem so much more intuitive naturally than others? Okay. This is a, this is a um, pet peeve and a... Um, I, don't, I don't believe that. that the answer for, that, for, for me is that I think what happens... But, you know, in this, sen- in this sense, we're all born with the same capacity for intuition. And we vary to, th- to the degrees up and down as we do in musicality, as we do in everything. That's a given. And, and we could ask, why is he a musical genius and she isn't, when they both have musical talents? Oftentimes, Tammy... If you explore that deeper, you're going to find that the person who is most intuitive has had some sort of support system where others have not. And that support system could be through spiritual and religious traditions in their family. It could be through someone who is a great athlete and is actually sharing that capacity to move in the athletic world with their children and basically teaching the intuitive response through apprenticing. And this is true whether um, it doesn't even matter what field it is. So what I like to say is that we are born with the same capacity for intuition. Women, for example, in our society are given much more permission to be intuitive than men are. Traditionally, but for you know, I work a lot in Japan, and they have uh, something they call the hagi, that is basically there in their belly, and they would never a man would never make a decision, any decision, especially a business decision, without consulting his belly. Now, in Japan, they make almost nothing of this. Well, men in the United States might use, say, my gut told me so. And women are given lots of permission in our society to say, my heart guided me, my heart told me. And sometimes we say, my mind told me this. Oh, I knew that, but I didn't do it. Um, So I feel like what we're talking about here is a layer of, of cultural surrounding. If you were a Native American, for example, you would, many of my Native American friends and colleagues take it for granted that their ancestors and everything around them is alive with spirits and their ancestors can still come to them, just as many Japanese believe people. In our culture, we don't think like that, or we might call that a ghost. Um, So... Just to say how complicated it is, it may, I don't think that we're different any more than we are different in terms of music or other things. I think it's key where we're born and what kind of support we get throughout life. 
in my own case, my grandmother really undertook my education, and my mother did too. So I I, uh, salute the female line in my family for that. Someone's listening, and they didn't particularly have an intuitive mentor, and they've heard you say, take some time to be still, to pause, to be outside of the rational world, to go into no time. But what else? What would be your key recommendations to become more intuitive? Thank you so much for asking this question. My first recommendation is to carve some time out in your life. It could be just as much as an hour. It sounds like a small amount of time. And really give some thought to spending time and how you would spend time alone. And you're going to go out in, in native traditions, you go to the top of a hill before sunrise. Um, in the Sufi tradition, you might um, go in and put on some Sufi chanting um, in a room that you've set up. Anyway, you create what for you would be a very personal space. And in that space, Tammy, Ask your spirit, tell your spirit you would like to open up to a more creative, peaceful, um, easy, I would say, life. You're willing and able and you're um, interested. I love your word curious. You're curious about the larger field that you could experience, not just with yourself, but with others. And make a small vow. It can be a sentence or two. To yourself, your own vow, of how you would be willing, able, excited, curious, even have a lot of fun and enjoy the humor in the universe through opening up to intuition. So that seems to me such a simple thing to do. And then... Every time you think about your intuition, remember your vow. You don't have to even say it again. Just remember, you've done that. The universe heard you. And as things come forward, as I said, you do not have to jump off the edge of a cliff. Just decide what is a safe parameter for you to try this and then to try that. And you will see you open up and you unfold. And... What's really interesting is you'll find sometimes your habits are changing, what you eat, how you think, how you want to spend time, and just keep going. What I can say is that I have had an incredible adventure in life ever since I said yes. So the answer is just say yes to your intuition. One final question, Sharon. I think it's fair to say that you've dedicated your life to studying and teaching intuition. You've been in this field now for more than three decades. Why? The, the literal answer is that when I was a young woman, um, my best friend was killed in a car accident, and she had a, I had a visitation with her, which was an extremely powerful experience. I saw her... As living light, she was dancing molecules. I woke from a sleep, and she had just died. 
and she shot a thought into my brain. I was wide awake in my bed, and she said, I'm very frightened. And I remember being startled, and I felt this incredible um, power, almost like a whirlwind of light coming up inside my body like a rod, and then it shot out from my head, and I found myself saying non-verbally through this light, you've been a person of love all your life. You have no need to be in fear. And she disappeared, just like the Star Trek people disappeared. And the intimacy and power of that exchange, I knew as a psychologist this might be a crisis apparition, but I couldn't really, I couldn't do anything but get up and go into my living room and ponder what had just happened. And I decided that this could be a crisis apparition or this could be something. This is how we really look. We really are beings of light. And I didn't care what the answer was. But that's when I made my vow to the universe and to God to follow the meaning behind what had happened for the rest of my life and to let it take me rather than me decide what should be happening. So that is it was a crucial moment in my life. And I would say that it's just been an amazing life ever since. Um, and I've never wavered in that uh, commitment. And I'm still a learning, I'm still a student. I, I don't feel like, you know, I'm always exploring. And I love working with people around this this quality of being. I personally believe that, as I alluded to earlier, that the human family has gone from instinct to intellect, and now it's really important in, that we incorporate the higher wisdoms of intuition. So just like intellect did not replace our instincts, I don't think intuition is going to uh, replace uh, instinct or intellect, but it's going to be an added dimension in our aliveness. And certainly in our global community, it's essential. I've been speaking with Sharon Frankamont with Sounds True. Sharon has created a six-session audio learning course, which is really a training program in intuition. It's called Intuition, Your Electric Self, A Life Path of Illumination. She's also created with Sounds True a two-session audio program, You Already Know What to Do, Everyday Intuition for Relationships, Career, and Spiritual Development. Sharon, we haven't seen each other in a long time, but yet it's great to talk to you. I've really enjoyed this time together. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Tammy. Thank you. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.